Hello, welcome to the Hypno Travelers on the Magical Psyche Highway Podcast. That's right. Your host and tour guide is Scott Prevet, a healer, hypnotist, and a magician. And your bus driver, Jason Gobelli, also a hypnotist, an entrepreneur, and a spiritual guide. Trip with us on the Inner Revelation bus. That's right. One quick disclaimer, neither Jason, Scott, or any of our guests here today or licensed professional psychologist or psychiatrist. So please don't make any changes to any medication or treatments that you are currently on based on the conversation that you hear here today. Just hop on the bus and enjoy the ride. Give us a like, love, or comment, and remember to share your experience with others because there is always room for more in this bus. That's right. Hi, I'm Jason Gobelli, and welcome back to the Hypno Travelers on the Magical Psyche Highway. We got Scott with us. Say hi, Scott. Hey, welcome, welcome. Hello. Today we got a special guest. We got Chris Marie Bowman. We're excited to have her on. Hi, Chris. How are you? Good. How are you? Thanks so much for having me on. I'm I'm honored to be here. Oh, it's all our honor, and we're really excited to have you. And first, first, let's just get started. Tell us a little bit about who you are. Oh, would you want me to go from A to L or M to Z? You know, there's 54 <laughs> years in the making here. So <laughs> I just, I awesome. just, we just want to get a feel of what made you who you are and a little bit about you. Let's see the um, the Reader's Digest version, which is dates me even just saying that phrase. Um, the Reader's <laughs> Digest version is that um, I spent my early childhood raised among, amongst a bunch of sort of new age woo woo folks. And my um, rebellious teenage years and early adulthood found me going in the opposite direction and um, wanting to find hardcore scientific evidence for any unexplainable thing out there. Um, and so I went into applied psychology uh, as, as, a, as a degree and, um, you know, bioscience and biopsychology and neuroscience and all of that stuff. And applied psychology is not the touchy feely kind. It's not therapy and counseling. It's, um, you know, following various laboratory animals around in a maze and learning how they learn and um, attaching electrodes and seeing what happens when we do this or do that or, you know, things like that. Um, and also lots of um, um, self-report, you know, human <clears throat> studies as well. So anyway, um, let's fast forward four kids later. So we've got a couple decades yeah yeah wow <laughs> when my youngest two were almost grown um i realized that i wasn't gonna I, I had been a chef during that whole time so i got a degree in applied psychology or almost got the degree i came this close but i say it's my academic background because the only thing i'm missing is three credits of math from a class <laughs> that i took multiple times and failed multiple times and i finally just gave up but um so I was a chef putting myself through school. And also that's how I raised my kids. But my back was not allowing me to continue to do that. And um, and I had become a private chef, a personal chef, because I had started to have some anxiety issues that were, um, I didn't have full on agoraphobia, but it was, I, I had agoraphobic tendencies. So difficult to leave the house. Um, and I had been in and out of counseling for this. And so what happened was a sort of a perfect storm of things. So one was um, 
after years of counseling and not really getting much movement with the agoraphobic stuff, I found hypnosis and that helped. And then I started having sciatica and I was like, I wonder if hypnosis would help with this. And it did. (laughs) And then I started studying it because I didn't think I ever wanted to be a counselor. I, I, that's, that's not what my interest was in. I didn't want to be a therapist or, you know, um, take other people's problems home with me. Well, with four kind of inherited that counselor type attitude anyway, haven't you? What do you mean? Oh, with four kids? Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> um, I, I was kind of famous for saying that I, I I liked my kids, but I wasn't crazy about most other people's kids. <laughs> no, I mean, it's kind of true, though. Um, I love my species, but, you know, I can only handle them one on one. I don't really like having to deal with a lot of them all at once. So I um went ahead and started studying hypnosis and hypnotherapy because it had helped me so much. And I started playing around with like, what other things can it do? Um, I created recordings for myself. And there was one I created for myself that I listened to for the weeks leading up to a surgery that I had scheduled um, because I have had a lifelong rare bleeding disorder. And I knew I had to have the surgery and I didn't want them to have to give me the stuff that they give you to, you know, if you have a bleeding disorder, it kind of clots your, um, your blood for you. And I, it, it, the, the side effects are horrendous. So I was like, I'm going to try this and it worked. And I went and got a full assay of all of my, um, blood work and my hematologist said, this is impossible. You can't, you can't just like not have a lifelong disorder after two and a half weeks of listening to recordings. And I was like, well, I beg to differ. And here's the proof. So she ended up canceling the surgery and making me do a whole new assay and sending it off to the Mayo Clinic because I was in like Bozeman, Montana. So we didn't have the fancy schmancy, you know, um, laboratories. And it all came back within the range of normal, except for one thing. My platelets were still a little wonky, but everything else was within the range of normal. Some was at the high end, but it was still like for the first time ever within the range of normal, just from listening to recordings. So that's when I really, um, I had been studying hypnosis and hypnotherapy, but that's when I kind of realized like just how powerful it really is. Like it had helped me with agoraphobia and it helped me with sciatica. Actually the sciatica thing came and went and came and went a number of times. So I shouldn't say that it helped me with it then because it kind of went away for a while then came back for a while, went away for a while. Now it's on the out and I'm hoping that it's permanently gone this time, but knock on wood. Um, so do you so do that's, that's where I'm at now. You do this all through self-hypnosis? Um, no, just the sciatica and the bleeding disorder. The sciatica, I've been working self-hypnosis off and on for a while for this. There's 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 extenuating circumstances towards to, to that that I found that I can talk to you about because you guys are kind of into the woo, I think, right? Yeah, okay. First, um, for our listeners, why don't you define the woo so we understand? Yeah, let's hear about so the woo things woo. that can't be quantitatively verified through current scientific measurements. That doesn't mean Perfect. that there won't be. We just don't yet have them. That's how I describe it. No. Um, the agoraphobia, um, it was addressed through a hypnotherapist. Like I had sessions as the client. So that wasn't self-hypnosis. Um, but so sciatica, this was an interesting thing. So like I said, it came and went, came and went, came and went. When I started having communication with an aspect of my consciousness that I now know is my higher self. 
this part of me that loves me unconditionally, supports me, wants the very best for me, but tends to be hands off, you know, like a doting grandparent. It's like, oh, please don't do that. Oh, she did the thing, you know, but, um, but not like intrusive, not invasive, because it knows that I need to learn these things. Like I came here for a reason. I have these things that I want to learn. Anyway, in communication and conversations with my higher self um, as a client, because I have my own hypnotherapist, by the way, I asked my <laughs> hypnotherapist to then ask my higher self the question, what's up with the sciatica? Why does it keep coming back? And here was the answer. Hold on to your hats, guys. Um, the answer was that I wasn't done with it yet, that I'd that I'd learned and uncovered all of the trauma pieces and resolved those, but that there was, um, well, not all, maybe most of them, but that there was one um, important thing that I needed to go through, which was there were people that I still needed to meet and network with that I wouldn't meet and network with if I didn't have a reason to seek them out. So basically it, I needed to get into contact with people that were doing somatic healing but if I didn't have a literal pain in my body, I wouldn't have sought them out. And then I wouldn't have learned that piece, that component as well. Um, and so when my higher self sort of said, well, there's people you still need to meet that you won't meet if we take this pain away completely. Like you just won't be motivated to, why would you? You know? And so then um, I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna just keep my eyes peeled because I would really like the, like the pain was almost gone, but not completely. Um, so I just started paying attention to every person I met and wondering, are, are you the person? Are you the person? Like you? And then I did. I met this woman who does somatic healing in Bozeman, Montana as a physical therapist, um, a very specific kind. And that just sort of cracked things wide open for me. Nice. So, so the yeah. universe put you in the right place at the right time, just like it's putting us in the right place at the right time right now. So we get to have you on here. So we're pretty excited. Oh, so, <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's kismet. That's right. That's right. Everything works out the way it's supposed to. So uh, we've been listening to some of your stuff and, and everything. So it's interesting that you have a lot to say about the ego and throwing the ego out there in your hypnotic session. Yes. So what's that all about, huh? Um, Not that we need to get rid of the ego. In fact, it's impossible. I don't think we can. Uh, I really don't. I, I mean, we need it, right? It's, 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 it's built into the wiring for a reason. Um, but what I have found is that when we include our own ego in our sessions, you know, as a change worker or practitioner of any sort, there's two things. One of two things can happen. One is um, you think, oh my God, I'm not going to be good enough. Uh, what if I can't fix them? Um, what if I forget this or don't know enough about that? Or, you know, like you're all tied up in the lack of worthiness and I'm not good enoughness. That's all ego. That's wounded ego, but it's still ego. Or conversely, the other side is um, I'm amazing and wonderful. And everything I do is like, you know, I, I everything I touch is gold. And if my client doesn't get better, it's not my fault. It's theirs. It's their, they didn't do their part. Again, not helpful, right? Both of those posit you as the main character, when in fact your client needs to be the main character. You're there for them to support them. It's not the other way around. Um, unfortunately, this particular field tends to attract very large egos. And I think in some cases, especially when it's like um, for entertainment purposes, 
you know, stage hypnosis, street hypnosis. That's a great, great thing. I think it's even okay when it's hypnotherapy, as long as that hypnotist can take the ego and put it on the shelf and just be like, this, this isn't needed right now because I'm not the main character. So I was talking to, to some other hypnosis today and we were talking about the ego and the confidence and how confidence is so much needed in hypnosis. But then that ego can get out of place sometimes. So when I was talking to you, I was going to have your opinion on that. <laughs> There's different types of confidence, right? Yes. There's the kind of confidence that comes from having done a thing a number of times and now it's familiar to you. Um. And so that kind of confidence, you almost like are excited when something different happens, something unusual, something unexpected. And then there's the kind of confidence which you're hanging purely on your ego, which is that I am amazing. I am incredible. I can do anything. Nothing's going to stop me. Ah, da, 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 da. I don't think that kind of confidence is helpful in a hypnotherapy session. Um, and I feel like, energetically speaking, clients can tell there's like a cognitive dissonance going on because a person who has to put on the mask of confidence, well, they wouldn't have to put on a mask of it if they were truly confident. If they had that kind of confidence that comes from deep within where they just trust and know that whatever happens in the session, it's going to be um, exactly what the client needs. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that the client is going to always immediately resolve whatever their issue is. Maybe they're not ready yet. Maybe there's something else they have to take care of first. Maybe there's, maybe it's a, um, an issue that's nested inside of another issue that they haven't yet discovered yet. So we have to peel back the layers, you know, it doesn't mean that. And I feel like if a client doesn't get immediate results of what they expect, that doesn't necessarily mean that it was a failed session. I think that as long as the therapist, the practitioner shows up with true, interest, curiosity, and support. They want the best for their client. That client's going to feel that. They're going to feel like that embrace of mm -hmm. just support and empowerment. And it's kind of impossible to go wrong under those circumstances. Exactly. But if you're coming in with like, I am the best there ever has been, then what happens if the client doesn't get the result they want and you're hanging the result on your own ego, right? Exactly. And then you're also robbing them. You're robbing your client of being able to take credit for the fact that they healed themselves because they did. Because you know what? It's not you. It's it not us. We're not the ones that are healing them. And so now that you're saying that, we all know that sometimes the fruit doesn't come when you plant the seed. It comes at a later time. So we all know that. But you were talking about if it doesn't work, this and, and, and the ego. And I'm wondering, because I think this may be true, that you might have God, higher power, self, universe, energies, whatever. Do you pull on that for your strength also whenever you're doing your hypnosis or woo-woo stuff? Well, so I don't have um, any one specific belief that I ascribe to. Um, I do have trust that there is a higher aspect to my consciousness because I've been in communication with it. I have empirical, you know, my own empirical evidence of it. Um, but as far as my clients go, I don't assume that I'm going to be able to channel that at all times. I just kind of go into every session with like, I wonder what's going to happen with this session. I wonder how this client is going to find the resources to help themselves. I wonder what part I'll get to play in facilitating that conversation. 
within all of the multiple, you know, aspects of their consciousness. Um, I, I don't give guarantees. I guarantee that you're going to feel better, but I don't give guarantees that you're going to like immediately resolve whatever the issue is, you know? Um, and for some people like, you know, with my sciatica, for example, or the sciatica that was visiting my body, not mine, I'm not laying ownership on that. Um, but the, the sciatica issue, you know, I had gotten it to the point where like, well, when it was at its worst, I almost went on disability because I could barely walk. But I had gotten it to the point where it was just annoying. Like on a scale of zero to 10, it was consistently like a three. Um, and I was able to, through self-hypnosis and also working with my hypnotherapist, get it to turn all the way down to one and only ramp up when needed. So when I say when needed, there were times when I wasn't paying attention and I needed to be paying attention or I wasn't um, being mindful and it would be benefit me to be mindful. And so then it would like ratchet up a little bit and I'd be like, oh, and it's literally in my butt, right? So I have a pain in my <laughs> butt, <laughs> whatever I really needed to be like woken up a little. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. So you were talking about the part- The pain in the butt alarm going on. Exactly. It's, I still have it actually, but now it's turned down to pretty much zero to one. I hardly ever even notice it. But um, when it starts, it's like an early warning system for me. When it kicks up, I'm like, oh, I'm maybe not drinking enough water or, oh, I haven't stretched enough today or, oh, I forgot to take potassium or whatever it is, right? It's like a little, and it might be something external too, like, oh, pay attention to this person. Maybe this is something you need to notice for whatever reason. Yeah. So, yeah. And we, we also heard you do a lot with parts work and ego state work. So what's that all about? Yeah. Um, I liken it, well, okay, so I learned it from Mike Mandel, so it is ego states, but Gordon Emerson is where Mike Mandel got it from, and he now calls it resource states, and I resonate with that term a little more, so I call it resource states because we're not only dealing with the ego, mostly we're dealing with the ego, but not not always, not just the ego, so yeah, um, so parts work for people who are listening who maybe aren't familiar with what that is. The preframe that I give is that every person has between 50 and maybe 150 or 200 different parts to their personality. It's not different personalities. It's just different parts to the personalities. In psychology, we would call them sub-personalities. Um, and each one of those parts has sort of a different job, right? And so the people who, who, who follow me or are familiar with me are going to be like, God, not this old tired metaphor, Chris, please, but here we go. Cause it's just, it <laughs> accurately describes Bring it. it. Bring it. There's the part of me that makes my grocery list. It's one part. There's another part of me that goes grocery shopping. And then there's a part of me that gets hungry. If the hungry part is like there, when I'm making the list, my list is very different from what it would be if it's like the healthy part. Right. Um, same with shopping, but here's what happens. It's usually the healthy part of me, the part of me that has all sorts of optimism and idealism about like taking good care of my body and what I'm going to feed it and how I'm going to honor it and self-love. And so I come home with all these vegetables and whole grains and, you know, I'm planning on juicing a bunch of stuff, but then I get hungry and the hungry me <laughs> hates the part of me that keeps bringing home all that stuff. And it's like, where's the chocolate ice cream? <laughs> Where's the Cheetos? <laughs> so those are just different parts. There's a part of me that um, 
you know, the, the wounded little girl part that felt kind of rejected by friends or abandoned by a family member or stuff like that. And then there's also the part of me that um, right here, right now, I, I had to call forth the part of me that is happy in the spotlight and being on stage, which is not all of me. Because as I said, remember, I was agoraphobic. So there's definitely a part of me that prefers to just sort of like hunker down and do my own quiet little thing. So now I got another so, question for you. This is a good question and it's and it's a personal question. But isn't there a part of you that wants to get those extra three units so you can get those initials? Yeah, you know, I don't really care anymore, honestly. Uh, if you had asked me that 10 years ago, I would have said yes. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, it's, it. you know, it's just that. That's all it is. It's just a degree. It's just initials. It's just something that like society can stamp me with. But I, I myself, I... I learned everything I needed to learn out of that degree. Absolutely. Um, I'm missing three three units of statistics. <laughs> it, it, and so. it sounds to me like in your practice, you use a lot of the stuff, not only in that degree, but a lot of the stuff from your parents that you learned growing up that you bring into your Oh, yeah. Well, it, it came full circle is what happened. Um, I rejected all the woo for a long time. When I started doing hypnotherapy, probably I got about a year in, um, I just started randomly having sessions where people I wasn't intending for this to happen, but people would suddenly spontaneously go into a past life regression or spontaneously start talking to spirit guides or spontaneously find themselves in the Akashic records, reading a book about their soul contracts. And these were things that I was not in any way inviting into the session. Um, and I also, it, it kind of scared me because I was like, what do, I wasn't trained for this. What do I do with this? Um, what I decided to do at the time was obviously read everything I could about it from other people who had been doing it. But I decided I was going to just look at it as like from the point of view of a research scientist, I'm going to just take the data points. I'm going to let the clients have whatever their experience is without my interpretation or my belief system or lack thereof getting involved. Um, and that maybe if all of this is just a metaphor, a permission slip for their mind to release or work through or resolve whatever it needs to, that that's okay. So maybe it's not really a past life and there's no way to know, right? Um, but by the client having this experience that seems to be a past life experience, they're able to resolve or release or let go of whatever the trauma is. So I just started looking at it like it's a permission slip. Oh, I was saying that's a great way to look at it. You're, you're giving yourself permission to heal, basically. Exactly. Yeah. And maybe that's the same with the Akashic records and the soul contracts and cord cutting and all these things. Maybe it's just a symbolic method that the subconscious mind comes up with in order to give the permission to go ahead and just be done with this, be done with this problem. Well, it yeah. sounds not only like you're changing the lives in your clients, but your clients are also changing your life. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, what's most interesting, I think, is that whatever I'm kind of struggling with in my own life, not even telling anybody, it's just all internal. I'm just having some like little existential crisis of some sort. I will start attracting clients that are going through the same kind of struggle. And I always, I'm like, hmm, <laughs> how did that happen? When it first started happening, I had, again, a little bit of imposter syndrome because I'm like, how can I help them with this thing when I don't feel like I've solved it myself, you know? 
Um, but what I found is that if you're just a couple steps ahead, just a little bit, doesn't have to be, you know, leap years ahead, but just a few steps ahead, um, then you can always help the client. So, um, and what would happen is the client would help me too, by, by facilitating their conversation with other aspects of their consciousness, it would help me to continue the work that I was doing within my own self. So absolutely. It's very symbiotic. It does sound like there's a spiritual side to all this then, doesn't it? I just don't like to use that word. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Plenty of ways to describe it. So, okay. So now let's go back to the other thing that you got coming up. You got this event coming up where you're going to do this thing on this talk on ego. And Oh, right. At the Elman uh, Legacy Conference. I'm also going to be at HypnoThoughts Live um, in July. But yeah, there's, there's two plans. plan to meet you in person at HypnoThoughts. Oh, good. Yeah, that'll be nice. Face to face. And anyway, so you're you're going to do the thing on the ego. So the big question that I was wondering is, is so usually when someone finds something out like they spotted it themselves. So where did this come in you where you just spotted? Oh, oh yeah, I need to totally. That's a great question, by the way. Good, good job. Um, well, <laughs> I, like most humans, came equipped with an ego. <laughs> um, and what I noticed was that, you know, Early on, when I was first doing this, I had that whole like the 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 the, the two sided coin of the ego, which is like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be good enough, and then having to sort of just pretend, like fake it till you make it, kind of a thing, you know. Um, and then I found myself getting a little arrogant, a little cocky about it, like, oh, I can do this. And then I was like, huh, this seems problematic. Um, it didn't quite feel right. It didn't didn't fit well. Um, and I also noticed that there were other people in my sphere that were really kind of bugging the crap out of me. And you know what they say when like you're pointing your finger one way, there's three more pointing back at you. So um, I would find myself being really bugged by somebody. And I'm like, why does this person bug me so much? Nine times out of 10, it was because they just had this gargantuan ego. And I recognized that it bugged me because I have that potential too. And so um, I, in order to keep myself as authentic as possible and not stampeding in with like, you know, an ego, the size of Texas or whatever, um, I, I would very intentionally make the whole session about the client, not about me, but by doing that, it automatically solved the imposter syndrome issue just by going in with that curiosity and that interest, um, the, the way that I liken it is, you know, like when you're a little kid, the very first time that you uh, go up on the high diving board at the swimming pool, like you're terrified and you're looking up there, you probably like look at that thing all summer long. And then one day the curiosity just overcomes the terror. And so <laughs> curiosity is the antidote. Yes, I think a lot of that has to do with trust as well. I remember watching my son on top of the high diving board and he saw others jump and I know he had the belief and the faith that he could do it, but he just had to trust himself and let the little feet leave the top of the board. Yep. And trust that he would be okay. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. And and that's something that comes up in my sessions a lot, you know, because a lot of uh, a lot of people's issues comes they come down to a lack of trust. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I, I remind myself and them of is that. If we're sitting here talking, that means right now we both have a 100% success rate of getting through everything. Yeah, nice. So how so, do you, how do you, what's not to trust? And how do you help install trust in your clients? 
that's where the higher consciousness comes in. So, you know, you can do a lot of work with the subconscious, which are, you know, the, that's where like anxiety and the protectiveness and the lack of trust and all that stuff comes from. But the higher self has absolute faith and trust and belief and love and all of that. And as soon as a person just sort of opens themselves up to feeling that again, and they all have it because we were all born with it, right? I mean, every baby is born with that installed. There's not such a thing as a self-loathing baby. There's no baby that hates their chubby thighs or thinks that, you know, they're ugly or unlovable or um, anything like that, right? So we all have that capacity. It might even be our default setting, honestly, if we can peel away all of those other layers of like subconscious protectiveness and anxiety and lack of trust. But once I have my clients connect with that part and sort of let it into them and let it flood them and just fill their love cup until it's overflowing um, and then anchor that in, it just changes everything. And it might take a few sessions. It's not always like they might have that wonderful experience in one session, but then they go back home, something triggers them. They pull back and in into the habit of, you know, of self-doubt or whatever. But after a few, like say three sessions, it's, 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 and they I've also given them homework. <laughs> so they have like things that they have to do in between to sort of like keep the ball rolling. But um, yeah, after about three sessions, most people come away. I mean, at least according to the testimonials, they come away with a pretty great self-perception. Well, we know you do a wonderful job. And, oh, well, thank you. But, and, and, but it's not about me, right? You know, <laughs> it's it, my clients. They're the ones who are making changes. I'm just facilitating. I hate to, hate to use that awful, awful, dirty S word again, but it almost sounds like it's spiritual in nature, how their higher consciousness just comes into play. I'm not saying it's not spiritual. I just don't use that word. I find it a little problematic. Um, it's been co-opted by some groups that I don't really want to be associated with. But what I call it is um, consciousness and frequency and energy. And these are things that we actually do have, to some degree anyway, the ability to measure scientifically. So it's not quite as woo. Um, that said, I have had some experiences myself that would be firmly embedded in the metaphysical. For sure. Yes. Yeah. Your website said, or your bio said something about you had two near-death experiences. Yes. Tell us about that. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I haven't ever really told anybody the full near-death experience, and we don't have enough time to go into it right now. Um, I've had two. I don't remember the second one very well. As I get older and I'm doing more of the self-work, bits and pieces of it are coming back to me. But I do remember the first one quite well. And... I'm going to be straight up honest. Um, it was such a beautiful experience that I didn't really want to come back. And I spent the next three decades just not really wanting to be here. Like I was here, but I wasn't happy about it. I felt obligated. And so I wasn't really living. I was surviving, you know, but not thriving, um, which also led to the agoraphobia. There was all kinds of other stuff going on. Um, but it was an extraordinarily beautiful experience. I felt that sort of universal love of singularity of consciousness flowing through every aspect of me. And I could see just how like small and kind of almost insignificant this current incarnation was, except that when you're here, of course, it feels like the biggest thing in the world because you're, you know, here. But um 
But because of that, you know, it almost made me sort of turn away even more for a while because I was like, I can't think about that because I, you know, I, I didn't really want to be here after all that. I wanted to be there, but I had, I had a daughter, so I couldn't. Cause I, I also saw while, or at least saw, I heard there was a conversation that I had with, um, with another, uh, aspect of consciousness, we'll just call it that, that sort of showed me in a feeling sense, what would happen if I didn't come back and that it would be setting off um, a whole new path of generational trauma because my daughter would be growing up without her mom. And so I was like, okay, well, I got to come back, but I wasn't happy about it. I was 18. I wasn't happy about it. And so in order for me to like, basically like just dig into being alive, I had to just turn my back on all of that stuff. Well, we're for so a long time. Decided to come back. Yeah. I mean, it got a little heavy. This is why I haven't really talked about that near-death experience, you know, in the in the public eye in any great detail, because it, it it is pretty heavy. It was the most beautiful, extraordinary, exquisite experience of my entire life. But because of that, it also was um one of the most painful. To, to, to come back to this, but knowing that that's there, you know, honestly, I have no fear of death, but what I have had is a fear of life. I don't really have that as much anymore, but I did for a long time, you know? And you said you were 18. Yeah. I was 18 when I had my daughter. Yes. 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 Well, I'm glad. That yeah. And so in order to survive those, you know, early years of parenting and, and growing up myself, I had to just like sort of put all of that like over here. I couldn't, I couldn't think about it. I couldn't look at it. I, you know, I had to compartmentalize. You know, I, yeah. I totally get that. I had some crazy years in my youth, in my teens and in the early twenties too. And uh, I'm grateful today because I believe it helps me be who I am today. So Beautiful. I we are grateful for everything that's happened. I was in my late twenties before I had, uh, had my daughter. Mm. Um, so it was just a different. I was in the military during the late teens and twenties. Yeah, I I definitely have a whole different appreciation for everything that I've been through now, and a lot of that comes sure. from having those conversations with my higher consciousness. Um, the person that I am today, I love, and I'm proud of. And I would not be this person if I hadn't had those experiences and not just had the experiences, but process the trauma of them so that I could get to the nuggets of wisdom that's on the other side. Because I feel like all trauma does have wisdom at the other side of it. Mm -hmm. But if you get stuck in the trauma, it's hard. It's hard to see that. It's hard to see that there's wisdom on the other side. There's gifts. There's little superpowers, you know? Sure. Now, now that we've dealt with all that heavy bullshit, let's get on to some, how do we get a hold of you, get these weekly sessions with you, and how do people reach you and get in contact with you? Well, I feel like I'm super visible, but that could be because I'm also sensitive to it. <laughs> so I think all you got to do is type in my name and bam, I'm everywhere, but that's probably not accurate. Um, so chrissamariebowman.com, and it's spelled K-R-Y-S as in Sam, S as in Sam again, A, and then Marie, M-A-R-I-E. Bowman, B-O-W-M-A-N.com. Um, you can also find me on Facebook, Chris Marie Bowman. And then my like social media handle is Chrissa Liss. So it's Chrissa underscore L-Y-S, Chrissa Liss. So you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, all that stuff. 
too. Um, I also have Quantum Journeys Hypnosis Academy, which you can look up by that. So quantumjourneyshypnosis.com will take you to the academy. Um, it's a fully certifying hypnotherapy program. Um, it actually is, it's dual certificates. You get one from Quantum Journeys Hypnosis and one from International Hypnosis Association upon graduation. Nice, nice. And yeah. so that's for people studying to be hypnotists or people that are already hypnotists? Both. Oh. We have both. Yep. It's fully certifying. So people who have never studied it before, we have a few of those. And then we have others that have been doing hypnosis for a while and they want to add this to their toolbox. Nice. So the quantum is the woo? Actually, the quantum is looking at the woo through scientific lens. So it's... um. It's, it's being, a, it's the science of consciousness, which is, we're, we're learning more and more about it. So that's where the quantum comes in. Yeah. Nice. So it sounds pretty exciting. It sounds like. I think so. Come on. Yeah. And, and there's live training taking place April 1st through 5th in downtown historic Wilmington, North Carolina. So anybody who's interested in doing the online program, there is the option to also do the live training if you prefer. Um, and there's going to be lots of one-on-one -on -one sessions and all kinds. Of, and um, I don't know if you know much about Wilmington, North Carolina, but there's plenty of paranormal stuff that happens downtown. So anybody who's kind of curious <laughs> about that, they'll be submerged in it. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, not only do you have that, we're teaching the, the lessons, teaching hypnotherapists, teaching people how to do this, teaching a little bit of the woo, but you're also up for the speaker. So you're trying yeah. and speaking at all these events. So what's that like? It's exciting. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize that that was a thing that I would be so comfortable doing, but uh, you know, maybe it's just cause I'm a little bit, um, uh, neurodivergently spicy as they say, neuro spicy, <laughs> but I'm much more comfortable on a stage talking to people than I am actually in the crowd. So <laughs> I feel right. much more at home, like giving the classes and teaching the things than I do like just being surrounded by a bunch of people like at a party or something. So, yeah. Nice. So the person on the stage that used to bother you is all of a sudden you. Yeah, isn't that interesting? How about that? Yes. Yeah. So yes. Hopefully, so I'm hanging most of my ego up on the on the you know the bookshelf or something before I enter. Because on you know I feel like um, and I don't think this is too woo. I think this is more like a mission statement. But my job on stage is to whatever the audience, the students, the whatever are giving to me in the form of their attention and their maybe their respect or their interest, I want to then take it and use it to empower them. I don't want to just take it nice, and then wrap it around myself and stroke my ego with it. You know, I want to, I want to like take it in and then give it back in the form of empowering them. And I feel really strongly about that. Yeah. And it sounds to me like as you, instead of you taking the credit, you're giving the credit to your higher consciousness anyway. For uh, a good, I don't know how much, maybe 70, 80% of quantum journey hypnosis, I would absolutely have to say that's true. Yeah, One. These things just would come into my mind fully formed. Nice. So and nice. I would go, oh, that's an interesting way to do that. I wonder what would happen if I did that. And it would just like in the session, I would start doing it. I'd be like, I wonder who's driving the car now. It wasn't my conscious <laughs> mind, that's for sure. <laughs> so yeah, it's kind so of exciting. Jason's on the bus. There you go, Jason. You get another job driving her car. That's right. <laughs> it, it, now it sounds to me that you use a lot of intuition base in your and in, when you're working with your clients, and a lot of this is based yeah. on 
and it just comes out different each time. It's intuition. Yeah. And that's always been the case with me. I think I've had that since I was a little kid. I actually used to have an imaginary friend and, you know, all that stuff too. Um, you know, the one time that it left me completely was when I tried to um, medicate for ADHD. I absolutely have ADD. I wish I had the H. I don't have the H anymore. Now I just have the ADD. And so I have to actually like intentionally exercise because I don't have the H part. But um, but when, let's see, it was like 2013, I think, because I, I was late diagnosed. I was an adult with it in 2013. And I, I did, in fact, try a couple of different types of prescriptions to help with focusing and stuff. And it actually, they helped with focusing, but they killed my intuition. Like yeah. I, the thing that I was most like used to using to navigate life with was suddenly silent. So that was weird. They, so tell, me I, I got, they tell me I got ADHD too. I say, don't put me in that damn box. Come on. Oh, I'm okay with it. It actually describes a lot of what's going on with my brain. So I'm I'm grateful for that, but I don't necessarily accept it as like a disorder. I don't, I, I just think it's, a, you know, it's a different, it's a different way for the mind to work. And I don't know that I would be able to put together all of the things that I put together if I didn't have it, because I'm able to pull resources and knowledge and information and wisdom from all different kinds of places um, really easily because of it. It's a, it's a gift of being able to do multiple Absolutely. things at the same time. Wonderful gift. Yeah. Yeah. Or hyper-focus, which is the other side of that. Mm. So like I can, I can take a deep dive into something that fascinates me and not come up for air for weeks on end, <laughs> you know, but that's how I got the whole course done. Quantum journeys hypnosis. Yeah. I was just like, so fixated on it and just so absent, like I was in my element, just like, you know, so much passion for it. And then. And then I emerged and I was like, hey guys, guess what? I have a thing. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, it's wonderful. Scott, you have any other questions? Man, it's just this a great story. I'm glad we got to learn all we have. Yes. And and Krista, do you have anything else you want to say? I just thank you so much for having me on. And apologies for being a little bit scattered. Um, yeah, it was one of those days. Like but hopefully, hopefully I made some sense. We, we, you made plenty of sense and we feed on scattered because that's who we are. So we're Perfect. just grateful for that. That's a good fit. You're in the right spot. So we're, we're just glad you're here. We've really enjoyed driving down your magical psyche highway today and finding out a little bit about you. I'll yeah, what a great name. I love the name of your podcast. How fun. I was told it was too big. So that made me think, yeah, you know, it's pretty cool. So we're staying with it. <laughs> well, I have a podcast of my own coming out. If you don't mind me plugging it. Oh, please. Sure. That's why Quantum you're here. Journeys podcast. What, what is going to be no. Quantum Journeys podcast. Nice. Nice. Yeah, not necessarily all about hypnosis. It'll be sort of the intersection of hypnosis and the science of consciousness and concepts of quantum physics and Wonderful. all that fun stuff. So, yeah. We, we try to do alternative health and we'll let you know our next our next uh interview is with a guy by the name of Zachariah Grace, who does healing through the American flute and music. So it'll be very oh nice, beautiful, very talented, very talented guy. So that's gonna be exciting. Breaking master and a flute instructor. Yes. Wonderful. What a great combination. Yeah, I love sound healing. Yes, yes so sound healing. So it's and I work with a lot of energy workers. I myself I'm not certified in that, but I work with a lot of people that are, so I'm utmost of respect for them. You know, Chris, uh, you might not be certified in energy work, but it sounds to me like you do a lot of energy work every time you deal with a client. So we'll just leave it at that. I actually 
do, but it's not me doing it. I, I, I actually have them do it. No, I'm not even kidding. Like I'll have them pull the energy in themselves. I don't have any need for that. They need it. You know, I've got my own. <laughs> so. Great. Wrap it up right here. We'll put your information up there and we're glad to have you. It's been wonderful. And for the viewers out there, it's been great. We've got to travel on Chris's magical psyche highway today. If you like us, give us a thumbs up. If you think we're assholes, give us a thumbs down. Please comment. Let us know a little bit about it. You know, follow us, follow us, follow us and say, hey, look at these guys. Check these guys out or say, hey, these guys, check out these fools. We don't care. We just want you to comment and we want you to come back next week. So we're glad you're here. We're so grateful to have Chrissa here. And, and uh, what a wonderful show, Scott. What a great trip it was. <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks again. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Wow. What a trip. Thanks for taking that journey with us today. Please like us, share us, and enlighten us with your views of the topics we drove into today. We appreciate you and love reading your comments. Thanks again, and we hope to see you back on the bus next week. That's right.